Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Ruth Sukup. Ruth, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. This is a, a topic, of course, that's relevant to everybody. And in fact, no surprise, I think it's the biggest reason why people don't take that leap of jumping into starting their first business. And even as existing business owners, what holds us back from growing and expanding and doing the things that we need to do to, um, to build our business, and that's fear. So that's, that's what we're going to chat about today. We'll, we'll learn about Ruth's journey, very interesting journey, and uh, how she got to where she is today. And then she's written a new book, and we're going to chat about that. So, so fear, but, but there are, all fears are not created equal. So we're going to look at it a little deeper than just fear uh, at a high level. And so by identifying the specific types of fear, uh, you can experience a, a better ability to address those fears, to overcome those fears. And that's what I loved about this topic and why I wanted to have Ruth on the show. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes pages for this episode and other episodes, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So let me tell you a little bit more about Ruth, and then we'll get into it. Ruth Sukup is a New York Times bestselling author. And she's dedicated to helping women overcome fear and create a life that they love. Through her blog, Living Well, Spending Less, which reaches more than a million women each month, she encourages her readers to follow their dreams and reach their goals. She's also the founder of the Living Well Planner and Elite Blog Academy, as well as the author of five best-selling books. Her practical advice has been featured on numerous publications and news programs, like Women's Day, Red Book, Family Circle, and others. And her latest book, uh, which is Do It Scared, has just been released. It's called Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Obstacles, and Create a Life that You Love. That was just released last month, and it's available on Amazon and other places. And she's also a podcaster. Her podcast is called uh, Do It Scared as well. So uh, Ruth lives in Punta Gorda, Florida, which is just north of Fort Myers. I know that area well. I grew up in South Florida. And so once again, Ruth Sukup, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, in Punta Gorda, we, we say Punta Gorda here. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> we don't say it right. I know, right? It's, it gets, funny. it's translated. Yeah, I'm sure it's <laughs> But there's plenty of uh, my people that have moved up that way. So maybe some of us say Punta Gorda. Yeah, um, I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> have, you, have you always lived in that area? I have not. I actually grew up in the Seattle area. Ah. And my husband drug me down to Florida about 15 years ago. And wow. we've mostly been here. We've moved around a fair amount, but we've always had our house here and yeah. it's been our home base. Yeah, it's a great area. Yeah. Um, well, good. Well, let's get into it. I, I'm always curious, obviously, to start uh, back when, uh, certainly in college. I know you studied, if my research is right, political science and, and government in college. So what did you I think you wanted to be did. when you grew up? You did your research. <laughs> I yes, I have possibly the most useless major <laughs> and useless minor of all time. I majored in political science and I minored, minored. I had a double minor in gender studies and Dutch. Oh my! So yeah, pretty much completely useless on all fronts. <laughs> um, 
And I will say that the, the, the good, the redeeming quality of my, of my college was that it was a writing enriched curriculum. And mm. so it required a lot of writing, no matter what you were taking, which that part has served me well. So there yeah, was no, no doubt. something that I got out of it. And so but what I, were you thinking about? Was it just that was what interested you and you didn't quite know where you wanted to go yet? Is that part of it? Or I was actually always interested in politics and government. And I assumed that I would do something. I wanted to be president or do something related to that. But I would, I also planned to go to law school. So that was, that was the plan like from a very early age I was I want I was going to be a lawyer and I would watch lawyer shows and I just had it in my head I remember in in high school we had to do this career paper and about what we wanted to do and it was about being a lawyer and I would apply to all the I'd like go onto all the law school websites and ask for registration packets, even though I was in high school and couldn't apply yet, just so that I could thumb through the brochures. Like I just knew that was what I wanted to do. Um, but as it turns out, law school was, was not actually for me. So I had a bit of a detour my senior year of college. I went through a pretty, a pretty bad depression and I ended up having to drop out and spent a couple of years dealing and battling with that. But finally, when I got back on track, I was like, okay, now I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to law school. And then I, I, uh, decided to go even bigger and was going to do a dual degree program and get my JD and MBA at the same time. And so I started applying to all all these different law schools and business schools and made the decision that I was going to go to the best school that I could get into both both the law school and the business school because you have to apply separately and get into both in order to do the joint program. And so I got into Washington University in St. Louis, which was a top 20 for both the law school and the business school. So I was really excited. And I went and hated, I started with the law school and hated every second of it. Oh my gosh. It is, let me just tell you for those of you who are thinking about going to law school, it is nothing like legally blonde. If that's your point of reference. (laughs) So I don't recommend using that as a point of reference, but I, what I realized in law school is that Law school is very much very rule oriented and you do things a certain way and you have to like, it's very, very specific. And that is not my personality. And, um, I ended up dropping out and it was probably the hardest and best decision I've ever made. Mm -hmm. When you think back to it, Ruth, would there have been any kind of guidance, uh, internship assessment that would have helped you identify that? Or were you so blinded by that's what I want to do that nothing would have derailed you until you got there and realized for you. (laughs) I think the second option, I, you know, honestly, like I, that is, I think our greatest weaknesses or our greatest strengths are always our greatest weaknesses also. And so I'm very focused and I was very goal oriented towards that goal. And that was what I was going to do. And that was what I wanted to go after. And I don't think there was a lot that could have deterred me uh, until I got there and realized, oh my gosh, this is definitely not the right path for me. And I don't even think I would have quit at that point had my, who is the man who's now my husband, Chuck was there with me and he was, he saw how miserable I was. And he was the one who finally said, you know, you don't have to do this. You can quit. It is okay. And I didn't, I don't think I would have ever had the courage to, to walk away had, because I'm not a quitter. I think that's, you know, that's one of my greatest strengths. I'm, I don't quit. I just keep going. And, um, but it was really the best, best thing I could have ever done. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. So what was next? So let's see. Well, I should mention that I worked full-time all through college and I started, um, my freshman year working at Abercrombie and Fitch 
as a sales associate. And Abercrombie, if you don't know this, their company's hiring standards are quite low. You basically just have to be attractive to work there. <laughs> that is, in fact, they do group interviews. And I know this because then I was a manager there and I know how it works. They do group interviews and you have to, they hire, they basically just pick the best looking ones and that's who they hire. So I started there. That was my, my retail career, but I did actually, I was actually pretty good at what I was doing and um, worked my way up to be, a, be the stockroom manager at Abercrombie. And then I thankfully switched to a different company and started working for the body shop, um, which was kind of a, like a, they sell like makeup and bath and body products. And um, by the time I was a senior in college, I was, I was actually managing my own store. So um, I was just very driven and I didn't know like really why I wanted to work full time. It wasn't like I, I wasn't paying for my own college. Um, my parents hadn't told me to get a job or anything. I just really, I felt like that was important for myself to, to be working full time, to be earning my own money. And I just, I just really, really enjoyed it. And I loved managing people. And I started to just get a feel for what it takes to run a business at, at that point. Um, so there was, there was that. And then, um, after, after college and sort of while I was applying to law school, I then, um, didn't do retail management, but I did property management and, um, I, I was working, my family actually in Washington state has a property development company. And so, uh, thankfully my dad very kindly gave me a job because after I'd gone through that, you know, several years of depression, people were a little unwilling to take a chance on me at that point. And so he, he gave me a job and then I managed to work my way up, um, in, in his company where I was really the person that they would send in to kind of fix, uh, fix properties that were struggling. Cause I was really good at looking at the P and L and saying, okay, here's where we, here's the changes that we need to make. And what are we going to do? We could have the hard conversations and fire people if I had to and, and turn things around. And so I started doing that and I did enjoy it, but, but still, I was still on the law school path at that point. I see. So I uh, did the law school thing. And then after I dropped out, I sort of kind of took a break from everything and my husband and I got married and we had, we had somewhere in there, a hurricane had hit our house in Florida and we had spent, had to spend a year fixing our house and then had a couple of kids. And, um, when my, actually when my first daughter was, my oldest daughter was a baby, then we decided to move back up to the Seattle area. And so we could be closer to family. And then, um, when she was about seven months old, I wasn't planning on going back to work at that point. When she was about seven months old, my dad and my brother came to me and said, we have an opportunity for you and we want you to, you know, we want you to take this opportunity. And it was, they had started a spa and it was in one of their hotels and they had started, it was a very big spa. It was about um, 10,000 square feet with about 50 service providers, this wow. big, beautiful spa that had been designed by the guy who designed the wind spa at the wind casino in Las Vegas. And it was literally a Las Vegas caliber spa in the Seattle area. And, um, he said, we're, you know, it's not doing well. We want you to come back to work. We want you to run it. And we will, we will give you this opportunity to basically be an owner in this spa if you can turn it around. <laughs> 
So mm. it was not worth anything at that point because it was losing so much money. And when I, t- right. when I started running it, it was, it was literally gushing money. I mean, to the tune of $50,000 a month, I think they were in the red wow. and it was just bleeding. And so I was, I, my husband, my poor husband was like, no, please don't, please do not do this. Do not do this. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I was like, yes, yes, I want to. It sounds like such a great challenge. And, um, so I poured my heart and soul into that spot and learned so much and learned so much. I mean, about, it was a huge team. It was all women. So learned a lot about how to manage women. And, um, it was, it was really like, there were a lot of good things that came out of it, but ultimately I could not turn it around. It, we, I could get it, to, I got it to break even from losing 50,000 and maybe, you know, we had months where we were a little bit in the black, but it was just, I just couldn't do it. So I, I poured two, two, almost two and a half years into that. And then finally I had to throw in the towel on that. Yeah. Did that experience, did you walk away from it feeling like I don't want any more to do with business or I'm, I've learned a lot, I'll do it again? I walked away from that um, knowing that I wanted nothing to do with my family business, my family's business. That was for sure. Because? So, because there was just a lot of, there was a lot of family dynamics that came into play with that because the spa was losing money. My It was this like thorn in my, in my dad's side. He had never wanted he had never wanted the spa in the first place. It was sort of my brother and brother-in-law's idea to open the spa and he was against it. And then he ended up being the one to have to pay for it. And so then instead of blaming them, because I was the one running it, he started to blame me. And then there was just a lot of drama. We, we had to go to counseling for it. And it, was, it was very, it was very dram- dramatic. And it, it, it just got me to a point of realizing like, I never, ever want to be involved in my family's business ever yeah. again. And yeah. because everyone else in my family actually works for my dad's company. And that has caused, oh my gosh, so many, so many heart, heartaches and heartbreaks. And I, so after that, we decided to get as far away as possible. And we moved back to Florida where we have pretty much been ever since. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, after that, I, I, I didn't really think about starting a, a business, um, but I really, I was trying to figure out what my place was, you know, so we had another, another daughter and I was at home and then that was where I needed to find something to do because I was going, I was going a little bit crazy just being a stay at home <laughs> mom. And I think that like, there are some people like my husband actually is a stay at home dad now. And he has been for many, many years, um, since my business took off and he loves it. He is great at it. And he, uh, he is such a better dad than I am a mom. I just, I get like so restless and stir crazy and have so much energy that I have to pour it into something. And so I, <laughs> I started, I kind of started this blog, not really realizing that it could be a business. And then I, as soon as I started writing this blog called living well and spending less, which I started because I had been like spending my time going to target and I needed something else to do because target was becoming too, (laughs) a very expensive hobby and it was starting to cause a lot of problems for my husband and I. And so I started this blog and I started writing about trying to live well and spend less. And then it was like this whole other world was opened up to me that of online businesses. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, there's like people making money doing this. And having all the business background that I did, 
I was instantly like, oh, I could do this. I think I could do this. I could, I could make enough money blogging that this could be my job. And I went to my husband and I said that, and he, the poor guy, he looked at me and he goes, honey, that is the stupidest thing that you have <laughs> ever said. You could not make money on a blog. And the, he has had, he has had to hear me say, tell that story so many, so many times. And I feel so bad for him because he is like the most supportive, nicest guy in the whole world. And he wasn't even trying to be mean at that point. He was just like, it just seemed like such a pipe dream and such a crazy idea. Um, but that's, that's sort of how it all started. And then yeah. from then on, I was like, I'm going to figure out everything that I possibly have to figure out if there are other people doing this and making money at it that I know that I can do it too. Like that and was, that, that's all you needed to, to, you know, to keep that. Cause you've always had obviously that determination that once you get on something, you don't let go. Yes. That it's my husband calls it obsessiveness. I am very, very obsessive when it when I get focused on something. I think it actually in the strengths finders profile, focus is my top strength. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Once I get on it, I'm I'm like a dog on a boat, and I'm not you're not going to get me off of it. So from the time you started blogging, uh, how long before you actually were monetizing it and making you know a decent amount of money from it? How, How more or less how long of a period of time was that? Well. It's funny because it was sort of a, it was, it was, I think within the first six months, I started making pretty good money. Um, I, but then it was like, I had a spike and then it sort of all came crashing down. So what happened is when I had started, started blogging, I had started writing. One of the things that I was writing quite a bit about was couponing. And because that was sort of what I was interested in at the time, you know, I was trying to live well and spend less. And I figured if I spent less on food, then I could spend more on shoes. And that felt like a good trade-off. And so I, um, was, I was writing, you know, that was my content was writing about coupons and how to use coupons. And, but at the same time, I was learning everything I possibly could about the back end and the monetization process. And how do you like, how do you make money blogging and how do you get more people to your site? And, so I, of course, read that you need to you need to use SEO. At the time, this was even before people were using social media. This was 2010 when I started my business. So Facebook wasn't even a big deal at that point. And um, so I was like, well, I guess I need to learn everything I can about SEO and search engine optimization. And so I, I read every book I could and started optimizing every single post for, for search engine results. And then about six months after I started, this show came out, you might remember, it was called Extreme Couponing. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden, everybody and their dog was searching for how to use coupons. Right. And I had done all of this work leading up to that of to optimize my couponing posts. I had this, this eight-part series called The Beginner's Guide to Coupons. And that series actually ranked higher than the show Extreme Couponing on the search for Extreme Couponing. Wow. So I started getting a lot of traffic. And of course, the only way I was monetizing at that point was like through ad, ad revenue and ad, I think Google AdSense, but Mm -hmm. I was getting so much traffic that I actually started making like $5,000 a month, which I thought was like amazing money at that point. And, um, that lasted, that lasted probably for about six months where it was really like that show was really hot and people were really searching and then it started to taper off and like dramatically dropped. 
And that was where I, that was my first experience learning how to ride a wave (laughs) and also learning that, okay, you need to have something, you need to create a business that's a little more like controllable. And so, yeah, I just, but then, so my revenue went down at that point, but I think by the time I had blogging, been blogging two and a half years, um, so early 2013, my husband, that's, that's when I was making enough steady revenue that he was able to quit his job to come home and be the stay at home dad. And immediately after he was able to come home and I was able to focus a hundred percent on the business, my income tripled almost like the next month and wow. we've never back since. That's so, amazing. Yeah, really crazy. All right. So when did this uh, focus and wanting to learn more about fear and the role it plays and what, how it holds us back, when did that come into focus for you? Well, you know, do what scared has always been sort of my own personal mantra and my own personal motto. It's, it's something that I've, you know, struggled with my whole life is feeling afraid or feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. And especially after I went through this terrible depression that I've alluded to, and I've pretty much at 23 or 24 years old, thought my life was over. thought I had ruined my life forever. You know, I had filed for bankruptcy at that point. I had gotten divorced. I had dropped out of college. I had really like lost all my friends and didn't even know how to even have a life um, from there. And so I, I started basically slowly putting back the pieces of my life and it was one step at a time. And every step of the way it was do it scared, do it scared, do it scared. And I felt like my starting my business was the exact same thing. Every step of the way it was, it was okay. You don't really know what you're doing, but it's okay. Just, it's okay to be scared. Just do it scared, do it scared, do it scared and try and taking risks and trying new things. And the whole idea behind do it scared is not that you don't ever feel afraid because we all feel afraid. It's that you take action even in the face of fear and you continually take action because ultimately action is the antidote to fear. And then the, what encouraged me or inspired me to write the book is actually that I've noticed that fear is such a huge part of so many people's lives. And it is the, it is the thing. I mean, you, you talk to business owners here on this podcast and you probably see it all the time. Like it is the thing that holds us back. And sometimes we don't call it fear. Sometimes we call it anxiety. Sometimes we call it feeling stuck. Sometimes we feel it, call it feeling overwhelmed or being too busy or what any other number of names or, or excuses that we can come up with. But underneath it all, there's this fear. And I noticed it coming up so often when I would talk to the people in my community, both at Elite Blog Academy and at Living Well, Spending Less. And it just made me want to dig dig deeper. And I started asking questions and that sort of unleashed this whole research study that we did. We surveyed more than 4,000 people on the role of fear in their lives. And it was so much data that we had to hire a whole team of researchers. And what ultimately came out of that was just like, it was incredibly fascinating, but it's been so, so valuable for so many people. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And this is why I was so excited to have you on the show, Ruth, because I of course couldn't agree with you more that that's what holds us back. And then specifically, and I often use that very word courage, courage is not about not having fear. It's about having fear, but nonetheless, making us taking a step forward, doing something. Yes. And in doing so is where we develop confidence that then allows us to continue to do more things, right? 
Um, so that, that was just, that's why it's resonated with me so much. But then what I really loved about it that I want to get into, and of course, that's, this is what you cover in the book, and we're just going to touch on some highlights, is you've taken it and broken it down even further, which really helps us with that taking those first steps, that action. So I'd like you to start by introducing the, the seven fear archetypes, and then we'll, we'll go from there, uh, just at a high level, if you could introduce that concept. Oh, for sure. So the really big thing that we discovered within doing all this work was that fear is not the same for everyone. The way that we experience fear looks actually very different for all of us, but there are some very distinct patterns, which we call the seven fear archetypes. And the reason that that is important is because so much of this fear happens subconsciously without us even realizing that it's fear. Again, sometimes we call it other things. Sometimes we just think it's the way that we're wired or the way that we are and we experience it as truth. And so understanding your fear, your specific fear and the unique way that fear is playing out in your life is so essential because that is that is only you could, that's the only way that you can start to overcome it. You have to make it not be subconscious anymore. Yeah. So and it's, if I can interject, it's such a great point though you make there, Ruth, is I think sometimes people think, oh, those people who do businesses, they're just fearless, but that's not the case at all. Absolutely. And, and fear looks very different for each one of us. And so people that appear fearless, and we'll talk about that in a second, I'll go through the seven fear archetypes, but even people that appear fearless um, actually have a different type of fear. It's just manifesting in a different way. So the seven fear archetypes, I'll go, I'll run through them really, really fast just to give a point of reference. The first one is the procrastinator. Procrastinator is really just another word for perfectionist, but the underlying there, the fear for the procrastinator is a fear of making a mistake. And so the way that plays out for the procrastinator slash perfectionist is it could be analysis paralysis, a fear of moving forward, a fear of commitment, um, but really, or even like over planning and over organizing everything. But there's what's, what's driving that fear is just this underlying anxiety when it comes to the idea of making any mistakes. The next one is the rule follower archetype. And for the rule follower, the underlying fear there is this sort of unhealthy fear of authority. So we probably all know a rule follower, somebody who <laughs> always reads the instruction manual. And I would guess, have you taken the assessment? I did. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say that here. I did take the online assessment and encourage everybody to do so as well. I'm curious what yours was. <laughs> so so when I first looked through uh, the summary of it, I thought I, I checked off the procrastinator and the outcast. Okay. The assessment categorized me as an outcast. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. A lot of entrepreneurs are outcasts. So I'll get to that one in a second. So the rule follower is, um, yeah, just very afraid of stepping outside the lines, likes things to be very laid out, likes there to be a, a specific system or process for things and has this almost like sort of vague feeling that somebody is going to crack, somebody somewhere is going to crack down on them if they don't get all, don't get everything right. Um, and then the people pleaser is really the underlying fear of being judged or what other people think of them. So a good way to look at the difference between a procrastinator and a people pleaser is that 
the procrastinator fears making a mistake while the people pleaser also doesn't want to make a mistake, but they are more afraid of what other people would think about them if they made that mistake. Yeah. And then there's the outcast, which is yours. It's also mine. So you're in good company. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it is, it's the fourth most common overall for the general population, but it is probably the most common for um, entrepreneurs and business owners. Uh, and really what the, what the outcast fears more than anything else, it's the most ironic of all the seven archetypes because on the outside, you can actually appear to be a little bit fearless and to appear like you don't care what anybody thinks, but really that's a protection mechanism because the outcast fears rejection. And so often the way that that will play out for the outcast is to reject others before you can be rejected in return. Yeah. And just to, to add to that, since I fall more into that category, and again, I think even within a category, obviously there are nuances, certainly. Um, yes. what, you're, what you're putting forward here is some generalization so that it helps us further identify and then we can work on overcoming that now that we know a bit more about the type of fear that is holding us back. But for yeah. me, it's specifically, it's that rejection from people that I know and that I know well and trust and respect, not, you know, the public at large. Yes. And of course, a lot of it comes to which we'll get into here, my issues with my father and not getting enough, uh, you know, uh, uh, in return from him and acknowledgement. But it's also because I look at things from an entrepreneurial perspective as creating things. And so when I create or build a business, it's a personal expression, mm -hmm. just like it is, I'm sure, when you write something or when you, yes. you just wrote this book, you're putting a piece of you out there that you are afraid might get rejected. Yes. Yes, very much so. And that's very different than people pleasing. So outcasts, there can be, and, and of course, the, these are all on a continuum. And most people have one or two that are most prevalent, but you can have more than one or two that are prevalent and they all interact and work together to kind of make up your own fear fingerprint. So if you find yourself relating to more than one, that's definitely, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah. All right. So the self-doubter is next. Self-doubter is next. Yep. The self-doubter is the underlying fear of not being capable or not being enough. So the self-doubter struggles with just a lot of insecurity and the way that often plays out is hypercriticism, both of themselves and of other people. They can be hypercritical of the people in their lives, which can really negatively impact their relationships as well. But often that comes from just this place of insecurity with themselves. Then there is the excuse maker and this excuse maker fears being blamed or being held accountable. And so we can probably all think of an excuse maker in our life, somebody who we just cannot pin down. They're like masterful rationalizers. They are able to rationalize everything to the point where you can almost go, wait, am I crazy? Like, was that even a thing? <laughs> and uh, they're also the one who, if you're going out to eat, they will never pick the restaurant because they never want to be blamed in case. Uh, <laughs> and then the final one is the pessimist. And the pessimist is usually somebody who has experienced a lot of hardship or sometimes trauma or tragedy in their life. And it's brought them to a place of where the underlying fear there is a fear of more pain or adversity. And so it gets them to a place where they're stuck and feel like, why should I even bother? Because I'm just going to get hurt again. I need to like close in and protect myself. Yeah. All right. Well, so thanks for introducing that. And again, the book gets into the detail and other things that you offer, other services you offer that we'll get to. But again, the, the key takeaway though, Ruth, here in our summary conversation of it is that that is the first step, just like anything else, 
that we're challenged with in life. We got to break it down into its components so that we can become, we can begin rather to overcome it, right? So that's part of the idea here is, is generally we say, oh, it's fear. How do we overcome the fear? But by under, uh, understanding it in more detail, now you, we can apply some tactics and some strategies and, and some, yes. as you call it, principles to start approaching that and not let it hinder us, right? Yes. Oh, exactly. So once you have the diagnosis, then you can start working on the cure. Because yep. again, you're bringing it out into the light. All these thoughts that were happen happening subconsciously are now happening consciously, and then you can start to do something about them. And so exactly what you said, the next step is to start working on those thoughts and replacing those those negative thoughts or those thoughts that were happening with a more positive set of core principles or core values that I call the principles of courage. Right. And there, there's quite a few of them, obviously, in the in the book. I, I just want to interrupt here. I, there's a couple that stood out to me that I wanted to ask you about Okay. Uh, in the essence of time. Um, one is always own it, as you say, because you are in complete control of the choices you make. So that one stood out to me because it's one of my big things that I focus on and I help others with is um, to become successful in business, you have to be accountable. You have to be responsible. So talk to me about that one because that one really stood out to me. It is so, so true. And also the most empowering and freeing thing that you will ever do, I believe as a business owner and as a human being is to take complete ownership over everything that happens to you. And it's something, you know, I really work to drive into my kids every single day. It's like so much to the point where they like roll their eyes and repeat it back to me all the time. <laughs> Mommy, you're in control of your own choices because that's what I say. Like you can't control what happens to you. You can't control how people treat you. There are so much in your life that is going to be out of your control, but you always get a choice about how you can, how you respond and what you do next. And so own that part. And when you do, it's freeing because you know that you don't have to really depend on anyone else for your happiness or for your success. You get to be in control of that. And it's also very easy to blame others and circumstances. And yes, there's, there's no doubt that things like you experienced happen to us or we experience that create challenges, but we do have mostly the capacity to overcome those things and stop blaming others for our challenges, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so, so, so important. All right. The other one that, that uh, is curious to me is uh, balance is overrated, you say, because everything is important or if everything is important rather than nothing is. So talk to me about that, that philosophy. Yes. You know, I've worked with so many women and I do a, I do a survey every year of my audience. And one of the things that I always ask is what is your, you know, what's your goal for the year? What's your word of the year that you're going for? And without a doubt, the top answer is always balance. We have this idea that balance is like the ultimate goal for us, that we should be striving for it, that we should always be going after it. And that if we're not perfectly balanced in all areas of our life, if we don't have this work-life balance thing, like all perfectly figured out and our house isn't perfect and our business isn't thriving and all of the things aren't going right, then somehow we're failing at all of them. And so we drive ourselves crazy feeling like we're failing when re the reality is that we're not really called to balance as humans, I don't think. My personal opinion is that we are called to purpose and it is your job to do a mediocre or subpar job in some of the areas of your life that you don't care as much about so that you can do great 
work and change the world in the other places, in the other parts of your life. Like you, nobody can do everything. And so if you can give yourself permission to not be good at everything and to do some things badly so that other things can be great, that's okay. And that's actually like one of the most empowering things that you can ever do. Part of that I've got to think, Ruth, is that we, we, we harm ourselves by trying to compare ourselves to these supposed perfect people that we either see on social media or we read about. Is, is that part yes. of why we're Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, social media is like such a death trap sometimes for that. And we forget that all we're seeing there is the highlight reel of the best best moments of people's lives. So of course their lives look perfect, but that's not reality. Right. And, and yet I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next person of getting sucked into it. I, I find that sometimes I have to just turn off Instagram and stop, mm -hmm. stop looking because I will start to feel like everybody, you know, I follow all these other fellow entrepreneurs and I feel like everybody else is rocking their business and why are things going so bad for me? And that's really not the case. Everybody has ups and downs. Everybody has hard days and great days. And challenges and things that they're doing, some things that are going great, some things that are not going great. And you, it really is important to stop comparing and, and just give yourself a little grace in that area. Yeah, agreed. All right. So what I want to move to next is, is to highlight the action part of this, as you highlighted already. It's, it's the taking action, which as you say, is the antidote to fear. Yes. And you lay out a seven step, uh, what I call it a process at a high level that, that, that you take or you recommend to I approach to tackle my fears and overcome my fears. Is that what you would call it a process? I would definitely call that okay. a process. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we don't have time to go through all seven. I'm going to highlight them here quickly. And then there's a couple again that stood out to me that I'd like you to expand upon. But number one is to claim your target, you know, what, what it is that this big audacious goal that you have find your why. And then again, I'm, I'm going to just be touching on these at a high level. You really have to read the book and, and learn more about it. Create your plan as to how you're going to get there. Form your truth club, as you say, which I do love, which are the people that are going to hold you accountable. Number five is stop comparing, which we just talked about actually. Six is eliminate those excuses. And seven is stay encouraged, keep enjoying uh, and keep getting that motivation to keep going. So the two that I wanted to touch on, although I just realized we were just talking about stopping comparing, that's a big one. So let's move on to eliminate excuses and tell me a little bit more about that and maybe how how you've how you managed to do that. Because when we were talking about back to the archetypes, I think even though I don't fall in that category necessarily of making excuses, I think we all do, don't we? Because it's kind of how we at least intellectually or mentally justify why we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. So tell me a little bit more about that action step of eliminating excuses. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that it's funny that those were the two that you highlighted for the, for the action steps. And those were sort of the counterpart to the, to the two principles of courage that you right, highlighted. Right. So definitely you can tell that those ones stood out to you and resonated resonated a lot with you, which is, which is what I've found that most readers of the book find is that one or two just really resonate. And it's not the same ones for everyone. It really depends on what your fear archetype is. Um, but as far as eliminating excuses, yes, absolutely. It's really about deciding, deciding 
and deciding every single day that you are not going to accept excuses for, for anything that there, that you are going to have that mentality and that you're going to take full responsibility and full ownership for everything that happens in your life and in your business, because you can, and because that's, what's going to get you where you want to go. And I share some stories of a few friends of mine in that chapter about who have had legitimate hard hardships, really hard childhoods, you know, grew up in poverty and abuse and, and all these horrible things. And two people who could have very easily just said, you know, I'm, it's never going to happen for me. I didn't have a good education. I didn't have parents who loved me. I didn't have all of these things and nobody would have blamed them. It's not, if you're looking for an excuse in your life, you will always be able to find one. Mm. And it is not that hard to find an excuse there. Right. They are everywhere in ample supply. And and, and people will let you off the hook. That's the thing that we don't realize. Like p- excuses work. People will let you off the hook, but where does that get you at the end of the day? It gets you nowhere. It does not get you to where you want to go. The only way to get to where you want to go is to say no excuses. doesn't matter what's happened to me. I am going to, I'm going to keep going. Well, it seems to me as you were saying that, and I think sometimes when we share those hardships with people, things that have happened to us, we get we get the response we're expecting. Oh, poor you! I understand completely. Yep. No, no doubt. And it's almost like it reinforces us using it as an excuse. Yes, yeah, it totally does. And I have people that come to me every day in my program, and say, and will have reasons of why they haven't launched their blog yet, or why they haven't launched their product yet, or why they haven't done whatever, and at the end of the day, like they can give me all the excuses in the book. And sometimes they're very legitimate. Sometimes they had cancer. Sometimes it was, you know, something really horrible happening and I can be sympathetic, but if I let them off the hook, then I'm not helping them either. I'm not the right coach for them right? because at the end of the day, you have to choose that despite everything that happens, I'm still going to keep going and I'm still going to make this happen. An excuse that I often see myself using and that I hide behind, and I see now more where it's really a manifestation of fear, is that I need to learn more. I got to do more analysis. I got to put together a better performa, right? Oh, spoken like a true procrastinator. Of course. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that is is the ultimate procrastinator slash perfectionist um, excuse because there's the the constant need to plan and to do a little bit more research and to get a little bit more prepared and the reality is that there's like you have to be okay if you as an entrepreneur especially you have to be okay with doing things imperfectly and one of the ways to work through that as a procrastinator is to practice practice making mistakes practice failing in small ways so that it you actually build up your immunity to it yeah. And, and then it, it makes perfect sense, the title of the book and, and your mantra, Do It Scared, because what we're searching for is the absence of fear, which does not exist. What we have to learn to do is to do it despite the fear. Exactly. That's it. That's yeah. in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Oh, I can keep talking about this forever, obviously, but uh, we'll start to begin to wrap it up. And again, the, the book is is fascinating and um it's, it's something you must read. And the assessment is free. So, so tell me a little bit about that and, and also the services that you offer beyond the book and the types of clients that you look for. Summarize that for us. 
Yeah. Well, first the assessment that goes, it goes along with the book or you can just go and take the assessment. It's on our website at doitscared.com and it is free to take the, the basic version that gives you your top archetype. And then there's also a premium version, which right now you can get the premium version when you purchase the book and get our book bonuses. So that's a really ah, great okay. way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think the, the premium assessment is normally $15 and the book on Amazon right now is $14.99. So save a penny and get free stuff. What's better than that? I'm living well and spending less. That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, my business overall is really d- dedicated to providing practical solutions for home and business to help people create a life they love. So we do that primarily in, in four different areas. Now we have our lifestyle division, which is living well, spending less, as I talked about before. It's really about providing solutions for the home, um, just things to help you spend less time doing all the stuff that you have to do. So there's more time and money to do all the things that you want to do. Then there's uh, business. We, I help people create successful online businesses through my program, Elite Blog Academy. And I have over 11,000 students in 60 countries worldwide. It's, it's, I teach a very step-by-step process. So I have found that rule followers really do well. If you, if you find out you're a rule follower and you need a process to follow, um, you'll do really well, (laughs) well in the program. Mm. And, um, I have a planner company called the living well planner, and I teach a time management system called think big plan small. And then finally, uh, the motivation arm of our company is do it scared. Which we talked all about today. That's right. That's right. So if you, if you go back now and we think about from your personal perspective, personal characteristics that have led to your success, we, we've touched on some obvious ones, your determination and persistence that being driven once you get onto something, you don't let go, sometimes even to your detriment until somebody says, <laughs> hey, let go, Ruth. And there's, a, there's that independence, right? It seems like from early on, you had that need to be independent. You worked through college. Uh, you said yourself, you're not a quitter. Are, are there any other, is there any other one or two characteristics that come to mind that you think have been key to your success? I'm competitive. So focus is my top strength. Competition is my number two. And I'm not competitive necessarily in a way that's like, I want to beat everybody else. I'm competitive in a way that I want to beat myself. Like I want to win. I I find myself saying that a lot of times. In fact, to the point where sometimes my husband will say, okay, honey, now like what is winning right now? You have to actually define that. So you know, when you, when you've won, uh, but I do, I, always have this. And that I think helps my drive because I always have this, this desire to win. And also my children and my husband are very competitive too. So game (laughs) night in our family is like very cutthroat. (laughs) I can imagine. Okay. Well, good. That, That makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. All right. So we've talked about your book, uh, which again is do it scared. The full title is do it scared, finding the courage to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and create a life that you love. And that's available now. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, Is there another book, uh, especially in light of what we've talked about, that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? Oh, yes. I, I am such a voracious reader that it's, I have a hard time narrowing it down to recommend only one. So if you want multiple recommendations, I'll give you those two. <laughs> but right now, one of my favorite books that I've read recently, uh, and it was so, so good, and it actually connects really well to this issue of fear, is by my friend Todd Herman, and it's called The Alter Ego Effect. And it's just such a good way of thinking about how you can push past fear by creating 
basically creating an alter ego for yourself and um, is so practical and helpful. And, and I just found it like such an incredible book. I've recommended it to so many people. And I've also used some of those same strategies that he talks about in the book, even with my kids. My daughter was having, you know, trouble at school with some bullies and I gave her the, a few tips from the book and it's, it was just really, really, really helpful. Mm, Wonderful. Great recommendation. Thanks for that. We'll have a link to that as well as to Ruth's book on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. All right, let's uh, summarize it here, Ruth. What's what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about fear and overcoming fear? Really that it's possible, that fear doesn't have to hold you back, that if you have been, if there is something and some reason that you're not moving forward, if there's something in your business where you feel stuck or if you haven't started your business and you're just trying to work up the motivation and the courage, that like, know that there is actually an answer. There is something underlying there that is the thing that is probably holding you back. And it is as simple as naming it and identifying it because then you can do something about it. And so take the assessment, just find out, diagnose yourself, and then you can start working on the cure. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's what I liked about this so much is that um, it breaks it down because I think also what what consumes us, and again, is another manifestation of fear, is that overwhelm, as you mentioned at the beginning. And if we have now a formula, as you spell out, to break it down, I can take those small steps at a time to overcome my fear is the way I look at it. Exactly. All right, where would you tell us again? Where would you like us to go online to find out more? Yeah, go straight to doitscared.com. That's the easiest, easiest website to remember. Wonderful. Ruth, this has been insightful, great conversation. I could go on for another couple hours. <laughs> Hopefully I can talk into coming back at some point again. But uh, sure. thanks, for, thanks for sharing and for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great to be here. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest again today was Ruth Sukup. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms, as well as at our website, thehowofbusiness.com, or you can simply text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.